Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. Good morning, church family. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and maybe you're looking at a situation, you're inserting yourself into the situation that you're talking about, and maybe you begin to think or, or you begin to put words to it, and, and these words come out, I would be, oh wow, I went the wrong way. Help me out, tech team. Went backwards here. Technology's challenging. I would be so ashamed. You found yourself thinking those words. Whenever these kind of words are coming out of our mouth, what we're doing is we're thinking, man, if that happened to me, ugh, I'd be so ashamed. If, if I did that, this is how I would feel. And we all have stories of how this would apply to us. And usually when the topic of feeling ashamed comes up, it usually is centered around these four ideas, humiliation or some kind of disappointment or misplaced trust or embarrassment. I mean, this could be out of out of your uh, out of your ability to control. It could be a wardrobe malfunction. Uh, for me, I, I remember in the sixth grade we had a spelling bee contest, and the winner got ten bucks. And I thought that ten bucks would change my life, and and so I resorted to this horrible choice of cheating during the spelling bee. And I was looking at my cheat sheet there, and the teacher will never forget it. Maybe Chris or Cassie may have been in the classroom. The teacher didn't even say a word. Just got up from his desk, walked over to mine, pulled my paper out and just <clears throat> went and sat back down. And I just kind of sunk down into my desk. It was like, oh, this is awful. I mean, he didn't even say anything. It, it, was, it was one of those humiliating moments. It's like, man, if I could do that over. You ever had a do-over? I wish I could do that over kind of moment. Uh, other times it could be, maybe this resonates with mamas and grandmas a little bit more, but you're having a family dinner or maybe a potluck or you're getting everybody together and you've kind of asked everyone to bring a side or bring something and plenty for you and your family and then some. And then, and then you notice more people are showing up than expected, and, and, and the quantity of people is exceeding the quantity of food available, and then you feel ashamed, because what you're, what you're saying is you feel disappointed. You feel, stay with me, you've misplaced trust. You thought more would come in, and, and, and for a mother or grandma, it's just, it's like the ultimate, right? You got to make sure you have enough food for everyone. And then we all have our own stories of embarrassment. We felt it before something happened. Maybe you had that parent at the sporting event that was just overly loud at telling the referee or the umpire that was a bad call to the point that now the referee's blowing his whistle just because your mom or dad won't be quiet. And then they get evicted and just, it's just in the embarrassment. Our text today wants us to feel the weight of what we all know is true in terms of humiliation and embarrassment and mistrust in order to try to get us to say of all the things that could fit into this sphere of shame, let there be one thing that never fits into that sphere of that would cause you shame and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let it not be the topic 
or the subject that causes you and me to be embarrassed or humiliated or disappointed. So this is, this is very serious to the heart of Jesus. And when you read the Gospels, the one time that this topic comes up, it's always in a, in a moment where Jesus is saying, look, what would it profit someone to gain the whole world and still lose their soul? And when Jesus asked that question, he then follows it with this statement. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... In this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory and of his, with his Father and with his holy angels. And you can step back and you can think that Jesus always knew that every generation in the world would have a standard of sin that they would embrace and just be okay with it, and that his gospel message would always expose the darkness of that sin in order to invite people to be forgiven and saved from it. And the world, he always knew this, would put shame on the church or on Jesus' followers to try to make us not want to share that gospel message. And he gives us so much encouragement here or just a reality check to say, look, if the world shames you, don't let it produce an, a shame of you being ashamed of me. You have the good news. We have a message to share and people are perishing without it. So this is the subject Romans 1.16 kicks off with. If you're ready to dive into it, say, let's go. Please stand with me in reverence and honor for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, inspired, infallible word. We're looking at verse 16, and the text says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father, you know the pressure that the world puts upon your people to cause us to be quiet, to cause us to cower down, to try to hinder us from testifying or witnessing or asking those questions, knowing that every person we come in contact with every day of our lives will spend an eternity either with you or apart from you in hell. So burden our hearts today and strengthen your people and draw the lost to the beauty and the power of the gospel. And let this be a church that is bold and unashamed to share the good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The goal this morning is to look at the text line by line and help you and me to all take another step in our walk of faith in order to share our faith and to understand why we can do that. So it sounds like a lot. I'm going to give you seven reasons of why you can be unashamed of the gospel. But it's more like boom, 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 boom. It's just, it's right there. It's in the notes on the app under the resources tab if you want to check them out later. But it's, Paul starts out by saying this. 
for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, for most of us, we can sit back and think, yeah, but I mean, that's Paul. Of course he wasn't ashamed. He had the big road, road to Damascus experience. And what I would want to challenge us to do this morning is just step back and don't, don't just think, oh, that's Paul. I mean, we know he's a super Christian, right? But he trusted in the same Jesus that we've trusted. The same gospel that saved him is the same gospel that saved us. The same spirit that indwelt Paul indwells us. Just Let's just step back and let's be real this morning. And, and, and before I get to the first point, let's also be real in this area. Most of us know that in your own walk, trusting Christ for salvation was one experience. Whereas becoming confident and bold in your profession of Christ was another. Most of us would agree. I know there's a few of you here and you're just studs. You got saved, and then like the next day, you're testifying, you, you, you're talking to people about Jesus. But for the rest of us, that, that's not normally our testimony, right? Especially if you trusted Christ at like age 8 or 12. And so I want to be very practical and recognize trusting the gospel and then being unashamed and bold and, and sharing the gospel as a church, we don't recognize there's a lot of discipleship and a lot of time that often needs to occur in between those two moments of life. And as a, and as a church, we want to take it, we take it very serious that we get to invest in people and help people to know the word and to grow in their walk with the Lord and then to see the Holy Spirit empower them to live this way. So back to our topic, how is it that we can live unashamed of the gospel. First of all, I think we can look at those first five words and say, it's personal. No one can say this for you. This is between you and God. I can't say this for you. Your mom, your brother, your sister, your spouse, your children can't say, say this for you. This is between you and God. It's personal. I am not ashamed. Can you say that this morning? Would the people who know you the best, your friends, your family, your people at the, that you're on the team with or at work with, would they say, now he, now she is not ashamed? Would they know you to be that way? If not, would you just be willing, just between you and God this morning, if that's not where you're at, would you be willing to ask, God, show me why? Where's the rub that would cause me to just kind of, eh, I don't know that I would go so far as to say that. And give him the freedom. Just invite him right now. Lord, get, come into my life and help me to deal with the heart, the root issue here of why I would be ashamed of you. So this is, this is personal. And so I would, I would want to add to that. If, you, if you've never written down your testimony if you've never just taken the time, whether it's two lines or like two pages or whatever, to just write down your personal testimony, I would encourage you to do that. And start by just talking with your family. Talk with someone that's in your sphere of friends about your personal testimony and how you came to an understanding of who Christ is and what he did for you on the cross and the fact that God raised him from the dead. Start there. And if we were to look at the, the topic of shame, and if we were to think about it as in that sphere that we started out a minute ago with humiliation and embarrassment, maybe this will help us all. 
I'm not humiliated to talk about Christ because he was personally humiliated for me on the cross, hanging there publicly without clothes, beaten and brutalized. I'm not embarrassed to talk about Christ because when I step back and think about it, he was not embarrassed to take my most embarrassing sins and wipe them clean. The things that I've did, that you've did, that we've all did in some way that I wouldn't want anybody here to know that was ever a part of my life. He knew it. And he said, I'm not embarrassed to take that away and wipe it clean. And, I, and then I, we could look at that area of disappointment and maybe you would agree that what fuels our, our ability to be unashamed is this idea of disappointment. I'm not disappointed in Christ because you know and I know I could really do nothing to save myself. I couldn't trust myself. I couldn't do enough to save myself. He did that for me, so I'm not disappointed in him. This is personal. So could you imagine what it was like for a man named um, John Newton in 1779, a former slave trader, murderer, when he came to the gospel. I don't know where he was. Maybe he was on a ship somewhere, but he sits down with a pen and, a, and some form of paper. And it began to sink into his heart and his mind what Christ had really done for him. And he begins to write down <clears throat> amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind but now I see it was personal. Has it gotten personal to you? Or maybe one more, a young lady in 1873 named Fanny Crosby. I don't know where she was, but when she sat down and began to embrace what the gospel had really done for her and the assurance that she has, that we have, that nothing can take your salvation away. You're secure. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And she began to write down, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Let it be personal to you. And the more personal it becomes, the more unashamed you and I will live. And so he goes on to say, of the gospel of Christ. The word gospel in our Bibles means good news. I didn't know that for a long time. I thought it was a fancy church word. And the word Christ means Messiah or anointed one. Growing up, I thought it was Jesus' last name. And so if you grab those words and you step back and think the world gets bad news every day. The world gets fake news every day, but the church is God's special people set apart to share good news to a broken and dying world every day. And so when we put those things together, what empowers us to be unashamed is to see that it's prophetic. It's, now watch this, here's what I mean. We're not walking around sharing the gospel like it's some make-believe fairy tale story. 
We're not sharing a gospel that has no foundation or no evidence. We're not sharing a gospel like it's an advertisement or a get-rich scheme. We're not sharing the gospel because it's health, wealth, and prosperity for all who will trust in it. We're sharing a gospel that has 1,500 years of, or 1,400 years of Old Testament prophecy. We're sharing a gospel that tells us from the very moment sin entered the story in Genesis 3, God said, I got good news. I'm going to place that sin on someone else one day, and he's going to crush the head of the serpent. And so from Genesis to Malachi, we want to be confident in our ability to share the gospel because we're not having to guess. Maybe it's the truth. Maybe it's the latest fad. It's prophetic. It was written down from Genesis to Malachi, and we can be absolutely sure of it. In fact, if you're a parent and maybe you have young kids, one of the coolest things you could ever do to help your kids grow in their faith, become unashamed, understanding the gospel, it's called Advent Blocks. The Christmas Advent Blocks look like this. It's, and it's 25 days of just stories, beginning in Genesis, of how God always said, I know the world's broken, I know it's sin, I know it's bad, but I got good news. Someone is coming. And, and the same is true for Easter. It's, there's, it's called the one and only king. And we love to do this in our home every year, but I, I'd encourage you to do it all throughout the year. Make the Bible reading a part of what your family does and make those connections every week that this is all pointing to Jesus. God has good news to share. And so it makes sense when Jesus entered the story. When Jesus entered the story, everyone is looking for the Messiah. We don't, we don't live that way because he already come. But everyone in Jesus' day was looking and hoping for him to come. It's an eagerness that we want to bottle up, Right? And so when you go to the birth scene, I want you to think, why did the shepherds leave the manger scene so unashamed to go publicly say, the Christ has come? Because it was good news. Why did Simeon, when Jesus was dedicated in the temple, why did he hold Jesus up? And just everybody in the temple would have heard this. This is the Lord's salvation. It was good news. Why did John the Baptist live so bold and he didn't care to call people to repentance and to say, look, the Messiah is coming. Get ready. Come into the water. Get ready. And why did, maybe this is for somebody today. Why did the woman of Samaria, just you think about the shame that she carried. If you've, if you've made mistakes before, and I sure have, and everybody in Robbinsville knew about it. Everybody in Samaria would have known her broken situation with five husbands and she's living with a man that isn't. But when she came in contact with good news, good news met her. And she went to Samaria to say, the Christ is come. He's here. She was unashamed. Her testimony didn't rob her. And so verse 16 goes on to say, it's the power of God to salvation for everyone. The reason we can be unashamed of the gospel is simply this. It's powerful. The text doesn't say the gospel has some power. 
It says it, it, it is the power of God. It, just think for a moment. The batteries don't go dead. The gospel isn't something plugged in and then somebody just comes along and flips a switch or unplugs the extension cord or wipes out the power grid and it's done. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone. So when we're sharing the gospel, the power of God is being released. We can't see it and we don't, we don't understand it, but when you're doing that with your four-year-old or your 14-year-old or that person at work, you need to be confident. The power of God is working right now as I am sharing who Christ is and what he's done. So let me, let me just help you to think about this a little bit more. If somebody said to me, okay, okay, well, where can you see the power of the gospel at? I would challenge them immediately. Just thumb through the book of Acts. Do you remember Peter who was ashamed? Well, in chapter one, he's unashamed to preach the gospel. That's the power of God. Do you remember the brothers of Jesus that hated Jesus and mocked Jesus in John 6 and 7? Well, in Acts chapter 1, they're followers of Jesus. That's the power of God on their lives. Do you remember in chapter 2 of Acts that some of the people who participated in the crucifixion of Jesus are some of those who are repenting, getting saved, publicly then getting baptized? That's the power of God for everyone. Do you remember in chapter 6 whenever some of the priests came to faith in the gospel? Because here's what that meant for them. If priests are in the temple sacrificing animals for the atonement of sin and then they trust the Lamb of God, they just quit their job. There's no reason to go back and, sa and sacrifice animals anymore if you just trusted in the gospel. They knew they were giving up everything. That's the power of God. Do you remember in chapter 7 of Acts when a sorcerer from Samaria named Simon gets saved? A sorcerer. Or what about the Ethiopian in chapter 8 that comes uh, as the treasurer for the queen of Sheba? And then he encounters Philip, understands the gospel, and he's like, hey, there's water out in this desert. Let's get baptized. And then he takes the gospel back south. And you just think, just keep, I mean, Saul of Tarsus in chapter 9. If you're feeling ashamed of the gospel today, you think for a moment if a former Christian murderer can get saved and, not, and then feel empowered to share it, we can. In chapter 10, it's a centurion, a Roman centurion of the Italian regiment gets saved. In chapter 16 of Acts, it's a Philippian jailer about to commit suicide. And then he encounters the gospel, goes back to his house, leads his whole family to Christ, and then loves on Paul and Silas. And sends them on their way. In chapter 17, it's the men of Athens who had made that statue to the unknown God. And they get saved. It's the power of the gospel. Let me give you one more. It's in chapter 19. It's just stunning. Just live there in your mind for a moment. Paul and his team are at Ephesus. And some of the sons of Sceva, these are Jewish priests, they see Paul casting out evil spirits. And they're like, wow, look at that power. And they say, let's do that too. But here's the problem. They don't want to trust the gospel. 
They just want the power, but not the gospel. And the Bible tells us in Acts 19 that they begin to go to a man's home that is where he's uh, possessed by an evil spirit. And they begin to say, in, in the name of the Jesus that Paul's talking about, come out. So they wanted the power, but not the gospel. And the demon actually doesn't recognize the power because they're disconnected from the gospel. And Acts 19 says that then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on those Jewish priests, prevails against them, beats them up, wounds them, rips their clothes off, and they run out of the house wounded and without clothes. And this became known to all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling where? In Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Now watch the power of God right here. And also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of the books, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. And so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. That's the power of the gospel. Do you have someone in your life today that you, be honest, you look at them and you think, it would take an act of God for you to actually get your life right and come to Jesus. I do. I, I, I know a few, I, I, know, I know a very clo close person in my life. I know several. And I need to come back and look at this text and say, God, you can do this. Open up their eyes. Pull back the veil. I want them to see. You want them to see. If God did it in the book of Acts, he can do it here today in our lives in Robbinsville. And so the text goes on in verse 16 of Romans 1. And he says, it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Now, the word believe in English is kind of weak. But it's, it's this word pistuo in the Greek. And it's also translated faith or trust or to rely upon. And the beauty here is when you see those two words, it doesn't say in everyone who believes and promises to be a good little boy and a good little girl and go to church and tithe and serve and give and do. Faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, salvation comes to everyone. Here's why this is such a big deal and why we can live unashamed to share the gospel. Pastuo is not a work. We're never asking someone to do something for Christ. We're asking them to trust in what has already been done by Christ. We're not asking them to sign up and work. We're asking them to trust his work on the cross. It was more than enough to forgive and to save. That's the power of the gospel. And so faith is simple. And, and so I, I just, I stopped there for a second and I, I want to be really practical. <clears throat> I used to coach cross country, right? Okay. And if you were in the school and you didn't play football or uh, volleyball, then I'm going to come ask you. I don't care how fast or how slow you are. Hey, I want you to join our team. I want you to come run cross country. Just go. Okay. So I recruited a lot. I recruited everybody, right? Well, after a couple of really successful years um, with, with Lauren's team and, and some of the other teams, our team started dwindling down because here's the response I, I started getting. Kids would say, yeah, but I heard it's really hard. I'd say, well, yeah, but just come join the team, get it a try. Well, and they would say, I heard y'all run like 40 to 70 miles a week. 
I mean, like, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, but yeah, I mean, you know, just no big deal. Come. <laughs> I'm like, we'll, we'll start out with like 10 miles a week. And they're like, but then work up to 40 or 50 miles a week. I'm like, well, yeah, it's hard work. Winning doesn't come without the hard work. And they're like, no, thanks. And, and I mean, people eventually started avoiding me. It's like, he's, he's trying to recruit runners. And so here's the thing. The gospel is not like that. It's not like we're literally trying to share a message that's a free gift to everyone who will simply come to pastuo faith. Jesus couldn't have made this more clear in John 3. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, Jesus said, but that the world through him might be saved. So then he uses pastuo or three times in the text anyway, quoting him, Jesus said this, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. He made it black and white. He literally said, share the gospel. Tell people who I am. Tell them about the son of God. He's, he knows that his followers in his church is gonna do this. And he says, look, the responsibility is then upon the listener. It's not upon you. It's not upon us as a church. Our calling is to share the gospel. When people hear the gospel, they're, they're going to respond in one of two ways. They're going to trust. That's who Christ is, and that's what he did. And through faith, they're going to be saved and not condemned. Heaven forever. And then other people are going to hear, and they're just going to, for whatever reason, huh, I don't want that. I don't believe that. I don't trust that. I, whatever their excuse is, he just says, that's on them. He gave man free will. He pursued all men. And he says, look, if they choose to not pastuo, not trust and have faith, then they condemn themselves. They reject the gift. But church, let's share the gospel. Because verse 16 says, it's for, the gospel is for the Jew first and also for the Greek so it's an interesting play on words here, but during that five-year span of time, whenever the Jews got exiled from Rome, and then it was only Gentiles uh, at the church in Rome after Claudius died, and then the Jews come back, this whole letter is really written to say, man, there's all kinds of dysfunctional things probably going on at the church that had to be addressed because the Jews wanted it their way and the, Gent the Greeks wanted it their way. And so the Jews had all the world classified into two races, Jew and Gentile. But the text doesn't say Jew and Gentile, it says Jew and Greek. Or the Romans had the whole world classified into two races, Greeks and barbarians. But the text don't say Greek and barbarians, it says Jew and Greek. The text is trying to say the gospel is for all people. All people, don't just put, don't put the world into two races. It's for all races. Every person, every tribe, every tongue, every ethnicity, every skin color, every language is gospel is for all people. And so it's a way the text is saying, look, the promises and the covenants came through the Jewish race, but they still have to respond. They don't just get in because they're Jews. They have to respond to the gospel and trust the gospel. So he's trying to bring these two together and say, Let's unite because of the gospel, then share the gospel because it's for all people. So I, I think I would, I would stop there and just say, when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, 
You can be 100% confident without a shadow of a doubt, Christ died to save this person. No question about it. And verse 17 then goes on to say this, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So God is opening up their understanding that they are not in a right standing with him when we share the gospel. He's pulling back the veil. But let's highlight those words faith to faith. And let's just step back and say here's another reason why we should be unashamed of the gospel. It must be proclaimed. From faith to faith, not just it's not the preacher or the pastor's job, it's not the evangelist's job, it's the calling for all of us. If you've come to faith, God wants you to share your faith because he may, he'll work through it to bring someone else to faith. That's the beauty of pro, proclamation, the proclamation of the gospel. And so let me nitpick at a famous line that people say sometimes. <clears throat> Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Now, I understand the idea here. Live, live it out. Don't just talk it, walk it. Um, don't be a hypocrite. I, I, get, I get all that. Let your life speak for itself. I get all that. Here's the thing. No one can trust a gospel they've never heard. And no one can hear a gospel that's never proclaimed. And there are people in your life that will listen to you talk about Jesus and the gospel that will never listen to me, him, or her. But they will you. And so 2 Corinthians 4 gives us a better picture. It says, if our gospel is veiled or if it's never talked about, if it's never revealed, it's never spoken of, then it's veiled to those in your life that are perishing in their sins, going to hell for an eternity whose minds the God of this age has blinded, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So we got to believe this. When we're sharing the gospel, there is a heavenly light working through the power of the gospel and the drawing of the Holy Spirit that's opening up their, the darkness of their understanding and pulling back the curtains and the veils and saying, just look at it. You are so loved and God wants you. And he says in the next verse, we're not here to preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord. And so maybe when you hear that word preach or proclaim, it's easy to think, well, that means I need to get up here. That's not what it's talking about. Maybe it means I need to be the megaphone guy and get the speaker and hold up the big sign. Do you ever see these people on college campus? I mean, really, at Western, at App, y'all with me? I never saw, Preacher Gary, I remember Preacher, I never saw Preacher Gary lead a single person to Christ. I saw more debates and hostility. And, and so here's the thing, it's what they're saying may be true, but the approach is not what God has called us to. He's got his microphone, the other guy's got the sign, God isn't taller of sin, but now the guy holding the white sign, you can't really see it, but he's holding the sign that says, that says hateful and ignorant, pointing at the preacher. He's the lost guy in the picture. And here's, here's the idea. I wanted to, felt very led this morning just to encourage you with your approach. This is unrelational. I saw heads all over the room shaking from college age students because we've seen this. It's very divisive. Whereas if you just, if that guy would put down the megaphone and just be like, hey, my name's John. What's your name? Jack. Hey, Jack. Could I take you to Papa's Pizza and just buy you a pizza and salad, get lunch with you and just sit down and talk, get to know you? Hey, could we just go, could we just go get a, a cup of coffee? 
just sit down and talk. I would just, there's, I just want to share life with you. The simplicity of sharing the gospel comes so much more easier with just people that you show that you love and you care about. It's your circle of friends. It's your family. And occasionally it is that stranger and that lost person. But I want you to evaluate as we close this morning. Who is in your sphere of influence? If you could pick out one person in your family, in your circle of friends, and in your classmate, co-worker, neighbor, stranger sphere, who just maybe you could start praying for that person and just simply say, God, if you'll give me an opportunity, I will not be ashamed to just impart lovingly and gracefully. And maybe next week or next month, you're sitting down with that person and you're just sharing the faith, you're sharing the gospel, and they're like, why? Why, why, why are you so excited to share this with me? And you, you say, because I've been pardoned. Verse 17 says, the just shall live by faith. That word just is the identity for all of us who have trusted the gospel. And it's a word that means you've been declared faultless, guiltless, accepted, approved. The penalty that was against you is wiped slate clean. And you're just saying, and I'm just saying, I've been pardoned. And I just can't help every day of my life to want that for you too. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would just take this text and the truths behind this text, bury it in our heart. Let it be a seed that grows big and strong and produces within your people a love for the lost, a burden for those who are without Christ, an eagerness and an excitement for those who are perishing. Lord, let it produce within us an, an unashamed, bold approach to those that have lost their way, believing everything but Jesus. Lord, for the person that feels so unworthy to do this, I pray today that you would remind them what you've done. If you would forgive the people that crucified Jesus, you forgive us all. Lord, I pray within this church, if anyone has never responded to the gospel and you're drawing that person today, let them come. Let them come now. Let them come quickly to the altar or to reach out to one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's Word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.